I hope your Christmas was wonderful yesterday. I know it's been a little different for us as a war family as we've been celebrating the Christmas season. Um, for one, aside from the fact that we are 1,600 miles away from where we normally spend Christmas, we decided as a family to be in the giving spirit and to, to pass along the non-COVID-like plague that has made its way through our household. It started off with McKenna a couple weeks ago, and it's kind of made its way through our house. So, you know, we've tried to embrace it as a family. We've decided to change, like, Christmas carols, you know, the classics of Oh Christmas Tree, Oh Christmas Tree, has become Oh Vitamin C, Oh Vitamin C, and, <laughs> and therefore. So we're trying to embrace it, but uh, I've gotten, a, as far as my message goes today, I, until I run out of material or until the voice gives out, I'm going to go as hard as I can until then, so just bear with me. We're going to be reading out of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. On this day after Christmas, I also want to thank you for being part of a, uh, another church holiday. It's the first church, or it's the first Sunday that follows Christmas is actually a church holiday. For those of you who grew up in a uh, liturgical sense, you know that we just came out of Advent, and now we're in the Christmas season. So the first, church, the first Sunday that follows the, the Christmas day is often referred to as the pre-epiphany, or as I like to refer to it, the annual day that the youth pastor preaches day. So <laughs> I am thankful that you can also celebrate this day with us. It's not a gift-giving holiday. If you didn't bring anything, it's totally fine. So, so if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been working through our series. We've called it the Great Gift Exchange. And part of that, we've worked through each different things. And Pastor Chad gave a great analogy on the first week that we did this. He gave a comparison of what he used to do as a child, where he would build gifts for his parents, poorly apparently, make these gifts for the parents, and then he would exchange them for what would come out to seem like just an abundance of blessings. And we related that analogy to God. This is how we are with God. We bring him a variety of different things, a variety of different messages, messes, and we get to exchange them for the blessings that come from God. We talked the first week about how we bring our anxiety and we bring our fear, and that's brought peace from God. God bestows peace on us. In the second week of the series, we talked about how we can bring our downtroddenness and our worry and our lack of hopelessness, and God can exchange that for hope. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about how we bring sin and death as a part of who we are as creatures built in humans, is built into a problematic world, a sinful world. We bring that sin and death And because of the birth of Jesus, which we celebrated yesterday, and his death and resurrection for the cross, we get to trade that for life. So today we're going to talk about loneliness and the exchange for the Emmanuel, God with us. Now when Mr. Roman came up and talked about, he gave a good word about how like this season sometimes isn't always joyful for some. Sometimes there's a loneliness that peeks in. We don't always feel like God is with us in all the moments of our life. And I'm going to use the calling and life of Mary to demonstrate how though we don't always feel like God is with us, indeed he is. And even though we may feel lonely at times, God is with us, indeed. And so I'm going to read from Mary, and then we'll go, and I'll pray, and we'll go from there. Luke, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy and the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, and who is barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your presence. And I thank you for your Emmanuel. And I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that we had the opportunity to have a season where we could worship And celebrate the birth of your son who came to literally walk the earth with us. God, as we go through this season, I want to pray for those who have experienced any kind of loneliness. Either it be this season or in any season of their life. I want to pray for those who may be struggling right now. I want to pray for those who may not understand their calling or your favor favor on their lives. God, I ask you to work through me as I speak your word, and I just ask for my voice to hold as we go through the course of this. And I pray for everyone here that their hearts will be open to the message of your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So, as I prepped for this, we had some great conversations in our household, and I had some great conversations with some of you about what it means to and what it's like to feel loneliness. Because it's a feeling that it can't escape any of us. We all feel loneliness. And I specifically remember the first time that I actually felt deep loneliness, and it caused kind of a crisis of faith for me. The first time that I can remember that I felt deep loneliness or separation from God and from others was my first year of college. Now, I had come to know Jesus as a 10-year-old. I don't remember my life outside of being a follower of Christ. I was Joey's age. I don't remember what I was like. I can't honestly tell you. I know I had a sinful heart. I know I repented. But it's been so long that I can't remember a life outside of God. Well, the problem that that presented is that when I went off to college, I had God, but I experienced loneliness, and I didn't know what to do with that. I remember the exact moment. So I went to a secular college to play on a baseball team, and I had left an area in northern Idaho that was highly conservative and highly religious. In fact, you had to apply within the district to play games on Sundays. It was a church day. All our practices ended early enough that you could go to your youth group on Wednesday. Every sports team that I played on, I was surrounded by at least half my teammates being part of my youth group or another youth group. I grew up in a very religious setting, a very religious context, and I grew up in a household with two parents who loved me. I didn't face a lot of adversity early on in a young age. 
and I had come to know Jesus. So my relationship with God was centered, and my relationship with other people was centered. And then I went to a secular college. I got on the baseball team, and for all intents and purposes, this place was Nineveh. I was the only believer on this team, and it was a struggle for me. I could relate to no one else. And their view of a college experience was quite a bit different from mine. I was in deep trouble. I remember specifically thinking to myself, okay, if I can't relate to you off the field, I'm going to let my play relate. To, I'm going to show you with how I played. And I tell this story to like any kid I've ever coached. My first pitching experience as a college baseball player, I left a changeup high and over the plate to a left-hander, and he crushed it. That thing traveled. I don't want to talk about how far it traveled. It's probably still flying, but he crushed it. My first experience as a college player, and I give up a home run. My pitching coach is like, well, only up from here, right? Only up from here. I felt deep loneliness, and I had kind of a crisis of faith. How could I feel this way if I'm a firm believer of Christ? How can I feel this way if my relationship with God is for the most part intact? Has anybody else felt that way? Does it sound familiar to anyone else? I had a legitimate crisis of faith. Thankfully, my collegiate pastor kind of pulled me aside and was like, it kind of comes with the territory. And the way he did this was to show me this story and the story of Mary. And I'm going to walk through it like he walked me through it to show you that even though you may be alone in those moments, Following God will bring some adversity. you got to go back to the garden to understand the design of our relationship. We are designed to be in relationship with God. Adam, before the fall, is in relationship with God. If we talk about all the things that we talked about previously in the last three weeks, we talked about anxiety. That appears after the fall in Genesis 3. If we talk about fear, it appears after the fall. We talk about sin, it appears after the fall. But the first problem that God notices In the Garden of Eden is Adam is what? Alone. He's lonely. That shows up before the fall. So to remedy that problem, he provides them Eve. So we are designed as humans to have relationship with God and relationship with others. I didn't have in my collegiate experience relationship with others and a community that supported me. My pastor helped me with that. And the way he did that was to show me the story of Mary. So I'm going to walk us through Mary's call And I'm going to discuss about how even though we face adversity, God's favor is still upon us for those of you who are struggling. If we look at the text, it shows in verse 26 that she gets gets an appearance of an angel. And not only does she get an appearance of an angel, she gets an appearance of a named angel. She gets Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is not mentioned a lot within the text, but if you read any of the Jewish writings, they vary about what kind of Leadership he has, but he's supposed to be in God's counsel. So Mary draws the favor of God, and she obtains greetings from an angel who is named. Now, when angels, what I find interesting about Mary's appearance is when angels show up in the Old Testament, what is the typical reaction that you get from most people who they show up to, and mostly men? Fear and trembling. When Gabriel shows up to Mary, she has no fear. She displays no fear. At least the text doesn't tell us that. 
If you look and you compare the angels showing up in Luke, he, they show up and again. Zechariah shows up to her relative, Zechariah, in a previous chapter. And when he's talking with him, of course, Zechariah feels fear and falls, falls prostrate. When they show up to the shepherds, same thing. They show up, the angels say, do not fear. And what do the shepherds do? They fear. Mary appears to have no fear. The presence of Gabriel doesn't bother her initially. At least the text doesn't believe us to that. But then he starts in with the message. And here's what he says to her in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This all seems positive. The next part of it is her response. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this may be. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That seems pretty simple enough. It's three parts. Hello, you who are highly favored, the Lord's with you. And Mary's response is trouble and wondering. She is troubled by his presence and she's wondering what kind of message that would be. It seems self-explanatory. But Mary understands something. She understands that a favor from God, a calling from God, does not come with roses. It does not come with ease. It comes with something. She knows this because she knows her Bible. If you read the story of Abraham, we know that Abraham is met by God and God calls him away. But there was something he was going to have to give up. He was going to have to leave his father's house. God was going to ask something of Abraham. When Abraham, or when God shows up to Moses, same thing. He asks Moses to go face to face with the king of Egypt. He's going to ask something of Moses. Moses is going to have to give up something. It's going to require something to follow God. When we read about the story of Joshua, when the Holy Spirit leaves Moses and ascends on Joshua, Joshua understands his task. He's going to have to take the nation of Israel and go through the land of Canaan with giants and fight battles. And no, I'm not just naming Hurtler children at this point. Mary knows there's something that's going to be asked of her. God's favor comes with a cost and she understands this. She's troubled by this. The next thing that they have a discussion, the angel tells her, do not be afraid. She doesn't appear afraid. But he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. He repeats himself. You have found favor with God. And behold, Mary doesn't respond. From what we understand from the text, he doesn't respond. So the angel just keeps going. Gabriel just keeps going. And this is how he explains it. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. How much does he just give her in that moment? Greetings, you are highly favored. Now you're going to be pregnant with the Son of the Most High. Now her response to this is, And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? What? Her response is, how is this biologically possible? That's her response. She seems to be okay with the virgin birth. 
but bothered by God's favor. It's an interesting response. Now we know if you read the story of Zechariah, he doubts God. He gives a negative response. Gabriel shows up in Zechariah and says that your wife, is, who is barren at the time, is going to bear a son, and that's going to be John the Baptist. And his response is to the negative. How can that be? She's barren. We're old. And God immediately ceases him talking. He gives a negative response. Hers is how will. The Greek is used differently here. She's asking, how is that possible? I'm in. But how is that possible? She's okay with the virgin birth. But she is concerned about God's favor. That should tell us something about following God. And then, of course, Gabriel responds, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, most, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her she was called barren. What? How will this be? Because I've been with no man. And the response is, Oh, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and come upon you. Okay, that clears it up. No. No, it doesn't. At least not for me, it doesn't. Here you have a teenage girl who has been told these things. And he doesn't stop either. He drops another bombshell on her. Oh, by the way, your relative who was barren is also pregnant. What? God's favor is going to come with a cost here. And she knows what that cost is. She's in. Here's her response. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is a remarkable response in Scripture. If you know exactly what she's going to face. If you know what she faces her, this is a remarkable response. See, Mary is already betrothed to a man named Joseph. We've heard this story multiple times. Now, the betrothal period in the Jewish text is different than we understand it now. If we go to get engaged in our context at any point in time, hopefully not the day of, but any point in time up until you get married, in our culture, it's somewhat acceptable to say, no, this isn't for me. I made a mistake here. No covenant has been made. Maybe your parents have exchanged the money, and that gets kind of awkward, but no covenant has been made. In the Jewish tradition, a covenant has already been made. The bridegroom would have already accepted a price for Mary. They would have already come into an agreement. Their families are locked into this. They're locked into this. They're betrothed. They just haven't been together, if you understand what I'm saying in that context. They haven't had the celebration yet. So what's it going to look like for her to go back to her hometown and say, I'm pregnant? What's it going to be for her to have this conversation with Joseph? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that. I'm pregnant. What's his response going to be? And then her response back is like, it's okay, I've, I've been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. It's a virgin birth. We understand from the text he doesn't buy that. He's a righteous man. He wants to divorce her quietly 
Because to not divorce her quietly could result in her death in their culture. So he's a righteous man. He's wanting to do the right thing. But this is an amazing cost to her. And sometimes we take it for granted. She would have suffered huge cultural shame. People would talk about her behind her back or to her face. And this is something she will wear, if you read the scriptures, for the rest of her days. And Jesus wears it too. This is a huge cost. Not only that, this is going to cost her physically. Because we understand that a census goes on in that moment. The governor calls for a census, and they're required to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be on Joseph's side. We understand that. The physical cost of her to be that pregnant, to hop on a donkey and ride 80 miles. You in? No. No. Are you planning on escorting her? No. 80-mile donkey ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem, very pregnant. That's a physical cost to her. Not only that, if we think about it from our context, I've never been pregnant. Can't happen. I just get that right out here, and a man cannot be pregnant in our culture. Never been pregnant, but I understand from having a wife that was pregnant, having her family be there was a huge emotional support. Having the doctor that she trusted was a huge emotional support to her. Mary gets none of this. She has to leave her family, her mother, her father, her friends, her midwife, to travel and give birth in a major. We, we understand that. But just to ask that is a huge cost to her. It's a lot that she signed on for. What else does she sign on for? She gives birth in a manger, and we understand that she raises Jesus. If you read the book of Matthew, you'll read about a specific spot where Jesus is acting in a way that she doesn't understand, her and her brothers, and his brothers. She's, they're acting in a way that she doesn't understand. So she goes to get him. She goes to confront him. And in that moment... He rejects her. He says, this is my mother. These are my brothers. This is my family. So she suffers rejection as a cost of her calling. She doesn't fully understand his mission. She takes on an emotional cost. How many of us have been rejected by our family? Hurts. It's a huge emotional cost. She also bears the cost of looking at her son as he suffers a horrible death. When all the other men leave leave him minus John, Mary remains. And she watches somebody that she loves die. What an emotional cost that would be for a mother. She signed on for this. She doesn't fully understand what she's doing, but she's in. How many times have we thought to ourselves, God, I have no idea what you're doing. This is not what I signed on for when I said I would follow you. I don't understand what you're doing here. But I'm in. It's going to come with a cost. 
Following Jesus has implications. It has a cost. But it also comes with something that the angel mentions twice. It comes with God's favor. If you're somebody who has accepted Jesus, it also comes with his favor. The favor of God. And I'm not talking about a name and acclaim it gospel. I'm not talking prosperity gospel. Mary is the antithesis of, an, of that gospel, right? It comes with favor. God's favor is upon you. And that comes with blessings. It's God's favor that allows her to go back to her community and put up with what we know happened there. It's God's favor upon her life that allows her to climb up on that donkey and ride 80 miles to give birth to Jesus. It's her favor on her life that allows her to follow that rejection, even though she doesn't understand fully what's going on. And it's the favor of God that allows her the strength to stand there and watch the crucifixion. It's God's favor. God's favor allowed her to do that, gave her the strength to do that, gave her the ability to walk through that. This is the part of the story that doesn't always get into the Christmas play. But it's what matters. God's favor allows us, 2,000 years removed from Mary, allows us to walk into our office when our coworkers are being mean and when our coworkers are saying things about us that maybe are or are not true. It's God's favor on us that allows us to face rejection. It's God's favor that's upon us that allows us to watch the situations when our loved ones pass. And I've been there. But it's God's favor that carries us through. It's God's favor that allows me to move 1,600 miles away from my normal home around people that I'm comfortable with, which I've become comfortable with you, but to leave my home and come here. It's God's favor that gives us the strength to do that and the courage to do that. If you have not stepped into a relationship with Jesus yet, I cannot promise you, and God's not promising you through his world, He's going to fix everything that's broken. But he's promising you favor. God with us. That's the promise. So when we face loneliness, when we face strife, when we face fear, when we face anxiety, when we face sin in our life, everything that we have been talking about this month is wrapped up into the phrase, God with us. God's favor is upon us. If you don't understand what that favor is, come talk to me. I would love to introduce you to the one who brings favor. If you're somebody who has stepped into this relationship with Jesus and you're going, I'm having a crisis of faith. I'm struggling. Come talk to one of us. We would love to reintroduce you to that favor. The favor that's promised. We get the benefit of reading the story 
with the end in mind. We know what happens. Revelation tells us what happens. We know what happens with Mary. We know Jesus comes back. She doesn't have that benefit. And she faced it anyway. She accepted it anyway. Where are we this Christmas? I ask you to accept it as well. As the praise team comes, I want to read in Revelations real quick. Chapter 21. And I'm going to read through verse 1 through 4. And this is the end in mind. This is where God's favor leads us. Revelation 20, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain for anyone, for the former things have passed away. That is God with us.